Hey, 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 welcome to another week, another dose of Jesus is Dope, taking his relevance seriously, taking him at his word. Um, and and if you happen to have been paying attention, this did not come out on Sunday. Today's Monday. And that's because I didn't feel like doing it yesterday, uh, which is weird because I've been really excited to do this every week. But yeah, I didn't want to. And um but I'm doing it now, so it's still your weekly dose. Um, but we're going to continue in the Beatitudes. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 now, uh, as Jesus has been building. And if we kind of reflect on how, how did we get here? So he, he's been making this claim, um, you know, kind of encompassing the people that came to listen to him. They were interested because he was claiming that he was the way and the truth and the life. He was claiming that he was God in the flesh. He was doing miraculous things. He was teaching in ways that seemed to have kind of an authority that um, it just kind of shook people. Like he was teaching in a way that was different. And so um, this sermon is like, people have been attracted to like, I don't don't know if I believe in him. I don't know if I'm a fan of him. I don't even know if he's a good person, but I want to be near him. And uh, what, what he teaches here standing on this claim of who he is as truth as that were we call them the beatitudes but they're all these blessed phrases so he basically has been saying like look you can have a blessed life when you realize your need for me when you're poor of spirit you'll have a blessed life when you realize that you can allow even the suffering of your life to deepen your relationship with me so you don't have to try to have a blessed life that's avoiding the uncomfortable and the painful, but but rather in the uncomfortableness, in moments of suffering, you can find greater depth uh, in relating to me than you could without them. Uh, blessed are you in life when you cry for your sin, when you take seriously the evil that is within you. Uh, this is something very uh, important about understanding Jesus and about even all of scriptures that like we as humans love to point out the evil out there and other people. And Jesus is far more concerned with you and I recognizing the evil that we're capable of. And that if we want to deal with evil and injustice and the the wrong of this world, it all starts with us in our heart first. And that's the path to a blessed life. And then he says you can have a blessed life when you take up kind of your God-given space and live with your power restrained. That's this word meek. And then um, we talked last week about like when when you hunger and thirst, like when you're desperate for him, desperate to know him, desperate to know his ways, desperate to live your life according to him. And this week, verse seven, he says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And this is, um, this one probably makes the most logical sense. Like when you read it, you don't, it doesn't feel like a paradox or confusing, like blessed are you when you mourn, like that one doesn't seem to make sense, but blessed are the merciful. I mean, yeah, that that makes sense. And this one almost sounds like an equation, like you'll receive mercy when you give mercy. And that's not a a normal kind of equation. A lot of scripture and and following Jesus and living a blessed life is about the more you learn to give of yourself, the more you'll receive. The more you pour out love, the more love you'll feel. And so the more mercy you give, the more mercy you'll be shown. Now, uh, mercy is um, not really a word that we use much. In fact, the only time I ever used it as a kid was when we were trying to play mercy with someone and get them to submit by bending their wrists really hard. <laughs> but mercy is a, a powerful word and a powerful biblical, like scriptural word of understanding who God is, uh, for understanding what Jesus was teaching and pointing towards. Mercy means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom... Um, 
whom it's within your power to punish or harm. So if you, if you're new to like all the Jesus stuff, one of the things that he he's enemy loving, he's self-sacrificing and, and uh, kind of teaches us that like we're to leave vengeance in God's hands and not take it in our own. And so when you have the power to punish someone or the power to harm them, or think of it as just, if you feel like you have the right to take revenge, mercy is choosing in that moment to do the opposite, to choose instead of revenge, compassion, to, to choose instead of uh, punishing or browbeating or ruining the career of or canceling as our culture uh, loves to do to people. Rather, it's about giving grace and forgiveness. And Jesus is saying a blessed life is found when you and I learn how to practice being merciful to other people so that we can understand this mercy. And this is something that gets talked about all the time. If we practice acts of compassion and forgiveness, we'll reap more compassion and forgiveness in our lives. Uh, I, I love the C.S. Lewis once said that to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And so just like the first beatitude, when we realize we are poor of spirit, when we realize all we've been forgiven of, then it, it grows our capacity to live a more full life, a life that can be marked with, with meekness and, and mercy and forgiveness and compassion and love for people in this world. Now, if you've been around church for a while, there's this phrase like love the sinner and hate the sin, um, which is, you know, kind of, I don't know, an okay phrase, but it's, it's kind of bothersome because many times people are like, well, we love the sinner, but we just hate the sin. And it's still used as like an excuse to just judge other people. Um, but, but think exactly like, how do you, like, what sin do you choose to hate? Because like the Bible speaks a lot about gluttony as an example, but I don't see too many people, um, hating, uh, the sin of gluttony or like feeling like they need to be up in somebody's business about eating too many French fries. Like gluttony is one of those that we don't really hate that sin. Although, uh, when we, when we suffer from it, when we struggle with it, we do learn to hate it because it's, it doesn't help us. It doesn't help us feel better or healthier in life and whatever. But, but loving the sinner and hating the sin, it just, it feels more like, like the Jesus type phrase would be to love the sinner and to hate your own sin because it, it always starts with us. Um, but that we would learn to, to like love others who, who sin differently than us. So like love the sinner and hate the murder. Like, so you love murderers, you just hate that they murdered, uh, which is why I think this is like a, I don't know, a, a problem. Uh, it doesn't really help us, but, um, but Jesus is calling us to be full of mercy and forgiveness. And so, um, and, and it's learning to make it really practical. Like, like most people hate racism, but the call of those of us who follow Jesus is to love the racist. And that's something our culture doesn't do really well. Um, uh, we don't just like hate war and the sadness of people who act in like terrorists, but we can still and should love terrorists because they're still humans. And too often we associate loving someone with excusing the evil and the wrong. And that is fundamentally a misunderstanding of forgiveness, of mercy. And and mercy and forgiveness go hand in hand. So mercy is not like one topic and forgiveness a totally other. They go 
hand in hand. Um, and, and becoming a more forgiving person will make you more merciful, and becoming more merciful will make you more forgiving. Uh, it's, it's about giving the grace that you want. And it, you know, in many ways, just comes back to like the, the simple um, golden rule that Jesus gave us, which is love other people in the way you want to be loved. And when it comes to grace, I want a ton of grace, so I have to give grace. I want it to be dealt with mercifully when I screw up. But am I willing to treat others mercifully when they screw up? That's that's the whole trick. That's the whole difficulty. It's all in that exact moment. And for, for those of us who are following Jesus, like learning to not just see ourselves as sinners, but learning how to love other people, and all people are sinners, so it seems redundant to even say it, but learning how to embrace this same scandal of grace that Jesus taught about that's changed us, that we act like that um, to the world around us, that in light of the grace that we've been given, we give grace. And as Jesus, I mean, he, he taught us how to pray and he said, God, um, you know, when we pray that we should pray, God, forgive me as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. So us asking for forgiveness to God should always be connected with our our willingness to try, our our effort, uh, our decisions to try and forgive other people. If you are not unwilling, if you are not willing to forgive other people, then then there are so many moments in Jesus' teachings that we should not be asking for forgiveness. Uh, I mean, Jesus even directly says at one time, like like if if you're unwilling to forgive, then you won't be forgiven. And because to not be willing to forgive is is to not fully understand how much God's already forgiven you. And uh, there's a ton of times Jesus taught about this. In Luke 7, there's one where he, he kind of creates this object lesson in front of this religious elite, judgmental people who were like, just thought they were better than everybody else. And and this woman comes in who, who to the religious people, she was an outcast. She was spiritually unclean, r- ritually, religiously unclean, like, and, and, Ugh. Um, and and Jesus allows her to literally love on him. And Jesus uses what she does to point out to him, who do you think, um, the one who's forgiven a little or the one who's forgiven a lot, who do you think loves more? And the religious person rightly guesses, I guess the one who had been forgiven more. He said, you're right. And those who who kind of forgive, who feel like they've only been forgiven of a little, you have less capacity to love people. When, you, when you're really aware of how broken you are, when you're really aware of how much grace and love and mercy and forgiveness you've needed, it, it grows your capacity to be that and to give that and to experience more love in this world. There's a correlation between how forgiven you see yourself and your capacity to love. Uh, there's a great theologian named Miroslav Volf, who I think I, I quote him in the first um, podcast, but um, he, he wrote a whole book around this. And he's a Croatian guy who, you know, his his uh, he's dealt with all kinds of crazy issues and wars and things that like I've never experienced that stuff. And, and he wrote this book called Exclusion and Embrace. And um, it's fantastic. I could quote so many parts of it because he talks about this need to exclude the evil and the sin from us, but embrace the person. And where we often get forgiveness wrong is we think forgiveness is just like embrace the person and their wrongdoing and pretend like it's okay. That's not real forgiveness. That's not biblical forgiveness or that's not forgiveness in what Jesus did. Jesus called us evil and was willing to die for us and loves us. And so forgiveness of another person is not pretending like what they did wasn't that big of a deal. 
but it's actually calling evil what it is. It's dealing with it in the wrong and the sin and the evil that it is, but being willing to embrace the person. So anyway, here's this one quote from uh, his book called Exclusion and Embrace. You should look him up. He's super brilliant. But he said, hidden in the dark chambers of our hearts and nourished by the system of darkness, hate grows and seeks to infest everything with its hellish will to exclusion. In the light, and, and part of what he's talking about is that we love to exclude people. We're really good at it. So long before uh, the civil rights movement or uh, just racism as we think of it today, people have always, around gender, around cultural identities, around age, have always excluded people because uh, it makes us feel better. So he's talking about how that happens, but he says, In light of the justice and love of God, however, hate recedes and the seed is planted for the miracle of forgiveness. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude my enemy from the community of, of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. But no one can be in the presence of God, in the presence of the God of the crucified Messiah for long, without overcoming this double exclusion, without transposing the enemy from the sphere of monstrous inhumanity into the sphere of shared humanity, and himself or herself from the sphere of the proud, innocent, into the sphere of common sinfulness. When one knows that the torturer will not eternally triumph over the victim, one is free to rediscover the person's humanity and imitate God's love for him or her. And when one knows, um, and when one knows that God's love is greater than all sin, one is free to see oneself in the light of God's justice and so rediscover one's own sinfulness. This is the scandal of grace. When we learn to transpose our enemy into just humanity and ourself in the community of the sinful, it's the scandal of God's grace. And the more we understand his love, the more capacity we have to understand others. And the more we understand God's sovereignty and that he will right the wrongs, he will take care of all that stuff. He asks us just to trust it to him, that we can live life free from trying to worry about who's in charge and who should get what kind of punishment or vengeance or whatever. So believing in Jesus' death and his resurrection is like believing in, in his lordship. And that's not a, a word that we use a lot, but it's believing in his authority and trusting in his justice. And so this means, as Miroslav Volf was arguing for um, in a really smart way, <laughs> that's why I love reading him and I have to read everything he writes slowly, but um, it means that we trust that evil will not triumph. And so we become free to rediscover the person who sinned is just another human and learn to imitate God's love towards them. That is the, the calling of life. That is the human experience is to understand that you are loved despite your imperfections and learning to love others despite theirs. Now, uh, if we go, uh, I mentioned Luke 7, um, but in Luke 6, I'll actually read part of this for you because it's really, really interesting. Um, the, the question comes oftentimes to people is like, well, you say love your enemies, but who's our enemy? Or you say love our neighbor, but who's, who's our neighbor? Like, who do we have to love? Uh, that was the question asked to Jesus then. We still ask that question now. And for this conversation or this teaching of Jesus to really matter to you and I, we need to picture our enemy, our real life enemy that you have, right? Not a far off, over there, um, theoretical enemy, but personally, who, who has harmed you? Picture someone who's harmed you or 
or someone you can't stand the thought of sharing the same space with, let, let alone the thought of imitating God's love towards them, who maybe owes you a debt. They wronged you. Who's wronged you? Whom would you love to get vengeance on? Or, or maybe not personally get vengeance on, but like you would love to see some karma catch up to them, right? It's like a way we kind of um, deodorize this, this desire that we have. Who do you know or, or who do you think of that's unlovable? And, and, and love is, it can be such an empty word because we, we say we love, our, we love food and we love our kids and we don't mean the same thing. Um, many cultures have had different words to, to describe different aspects of love. And the ancient Greek had five. And the word agape love was so powerful because it was this covenanted, committed kind of love that that I'm with you through thick or thin. I'm with you no matter what. It's it's the kind of love that we take for granted in our families, but it's the kind of love that we get called. It's what God has for us, and He calls us to act out of like this agape kind of love. And and love, and this is what's so important about it. Love is about doing. Love is empty if all it is is words. But loving others requires action. It it requires moments of surrender, of fully trusting God's ways better than your way, trusting um, that it's better to, to give than to receive. Uh, it's far easier with those who are lovable, of course, but the question uh, for us is how do we love other people who are unlovable? Well, we, we, we learn to become more like Jesus, and how do we do that? We just keep trying to... In fact, one of the best ways to really get to know Jesus more is to take things he said like this, merciful and, and stuff about forgiveness, and go try to do it. And you will find yourself knowing Jesus more than you could if you were just reading about it. Like, like that's the problem with this. Like you're, this is, if this just sounds like a nice concept, it, it's meaningless. But who's the person that you'll go back to work with tomorrow, or you'll have to see later today that you can't stand even if it's just like they're annoying, what would it look like to go love them in the way that God has loved you? So uh, in, in Luke 6, I'll start reading in uh, verse 27 if you want to. You should totally read this later too. It's awesome stuff and all connects to what Jesus was teaching about. But here's what he said starting Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So we could use those two verses as kind of an assessment on our life. How, how am I doing at loving my enemies? Uh, more specifically, how am I doing at doing good towards those who hate me in return? Or how am I doing at blessing people who I feel like just curse me? Or how am I doing at praying for people who mistreat me? Honestly, I don't do very good at that. I don't know about you. But if I want mercy, I got to learn to be merciful. All right, verse 29. Uh, then he says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. Also, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. This is such a radical form of generosity that he's calling for. Uh, not just like there's the nonviolent resistance, and this is something actually like Mahatma Gandhi and, and especially the civil rights movement did really well. They had to practice how to be nonviolent in the resistance because when someone does smack you, our natural, human, normal uh, reaction is to fight back. 
But to become this more merciful, more Jesus-like person requires us to practice things that are very difficult and unnatural. And most of us will not have to do things like the civil rights movement and nonviolent resistance, but we are called to it all the same. And if you and I don't practice it in the little ways, when someone just annoys us or cuts us in line or cuts us off in the road, we, we surely won't be able to do it in the really big ways that matter. So verse 31 in Luke 6, Jesus says the golden rule. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And let's be honest, we suck at that. <laughs> I do not do for others and do to others what I would want them to do to me. Not, not consistently, not all the time, but, but I, I need to. Verse 32, he continues, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those, and when he says sinners, it's important to think of, there's not like non-sinners and then sinners. Um, we're all sinners. He's speaking into a very religious context that like to think about people who are like, we have all the things of God right, and there are those who don't. Um, so think of it more like there are people who are, who are really trying to follow Jesus, and there are people who aren't. And so if you just love people, that love you, that are easy to love. Well, even people who don't follow Jesus can do that. Uh, verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Now, this will, this is like bad banking advice, um, but it is a radical way of living your life that Jesus is inviting you to live, not by uh, the logic that is so natural to us as humans. Eye for an eye, love the lovable, hate the unlovable, demand repayments. Jesus is inviting you to, to practice some very difficult, very like upside down kind of logic to say, it, it, he's inviting you to see that like, if he's Lord of your life, then trust, trust the debt that's not repaid to you to him and watch what he can do with it. Again, like, like in chapter seven of Luke, he's, it's like, if you've been forgiven a lot, you have a lot more capacity to love. Verse 35, though, he's not done. He says, but love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. <laughs> I think if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to ask yourself, do you think he's serious? Because if you do, I don't think we do very good at this. But I think most of us think he may, he's not really serious. Or, or like, this is one that we'd love to skip. Uh, the rest of verse 35, he said, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. <laughs> God is so kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God is so kind to me, a sinner and broken. And so the best way for me to appreciate that love, to grow in my understanding of all that God has loved me in my own unlovableness is to go practice loving, practice forgiving debts to people in my life so that I can understand it. His, his justice is not my kind of justice. Um, he's inviting us to have a different kind of eternal um, cosmic perspective, not a finite human one trusting revenge to him and not take it upon ourselves to live a life that is marked by mercy and forgiveness. And it's one of the many areas where he invites us to trust him more than we trust our natural instincts or what we perceive to be right. We love that he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked as it pertains to us and other people we like.
but it's hard to love that Jesus is kind to the people that we don't like, to the people who have hurt us, to the people who have wronged us. In verse 36 of Luke 6, um, it, it'll be the last verse, but it's so powerful because it connects right to this beatitude. In verse 36, he said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, when he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, this is what he has in mind, that we would be merciful. Loving our enemies requires us to embody mercy. It requires us to grow in empathy. It requires us to understand evil and learn to call evil by its name, not with the hatred of the person or the exclusion of the person, but just the evil and the act and the wrong and practice forgiveness. Grow in empathy. Mercy starts by seeing your own need for God's forgiveness, your own sinfulness. Mercy requires that you see other people's humanness, that they're a sinner in need of a savior just like you, that they also are made in the image of God and that they were worthy of Jesus leaving heaven for and dying on a cross. They are worthy. They are God's. And, and they have the same promise I do, that I can be a new creation, that no matter how much wrong I've done or how, how much evil I've, uh, I've, I've put out in this world and hurt people, that I can be a new creation. And mercy requires that we, we learn to picture ourselves in them, in their situation, and ask, how would I want to be seen by others? How would I want others to respond to my pain? Empathy is about stepping into the pain with someone to feel their pain with them. And, and the question should be, when, when we see evil in others, what pain has happened to them that would cause them to live like that? And so to have empathy, not just for the person we like and not just for the person that we feel sad for, but to have empathy for the enemies, for the people who curse us, who work against us. And remember, empathy is not about affirming their sin. It's not like pretending like it's no big deal because we must learn to call evil by its name. To be merciful, we need to be mature in our understanding, not just of empathy, but of evil. Evil is sin. Evil is more prevalent than we would like to admit. Evil is something that we tend to laugh at or make jokes of or be like, it's no big deal. But but if we're really if, if Jesus if we really take Jesus seriously, that he died on a cross and was willing to leave heaven uh, and, and to show us how much he loves us because we are so lost and so evil and so broken without him, then we must recognize our own evil and not ignore it, not downplay it, and not retaliate evil with evil. Matching evil with more evil never works. Mercy refuses to perpetuate the cycle of evil. It doesn't escalate. It doesn't add insult to insult. Mercy requires no other story but Christ to be dominant because without Christ, it makes no sense and mercy's stupid. When the story of God's grace gets dwarfed by like our political fears or, uh, you know, we let other human sinners become our political opponents, we ruin the beauty of what God's called us to, to be these merciful people. In fact, we'll be talking about it soon that, that Jesus is blessed are the peacemakers. That's our job. And so when, when we allow and focus on Jesus's lordship, it can help kind of fade uh, our, you know, our own desire for justice in the way we see it, our own self-reliance, um, when we treat other people like they're our enemies or our threats. When, when Jesus's commands turn to turn the other cheek become just fluffy rhetoric, <laughs> not taken seriously, um, we, we can't really be for this world what Jesus has called us to be, what he's been for us. 
when the story that dominates our mind and our worldview is that that there's this need for everyone else to conform to our preferences and opinions, then God's story of scandalous grace gets ruined. It gets, it evaporates. And so take evil seriously and practice forgiveness. Forgiveness is the single most powerful act we as humans have the ability to perform. Let's say that again. Forgiveness is the single most powerful act we have the ability to perform to forgive another person of their debts. It is otherworldly. And so to embrace forgiveness as like our most potent weapon in spiritual warfare, as people like to, to think of it, that God conquered evil on the cross and he intends to continue to conquer it through those of us who believe in Jesus and have been changed by what happened on the cross. His forgiveness of us becomes our primary weapon to overcome evil in this world by being forgivers of others, by being merciful in the way God has been merciful to us. When we don't respond in kind, when we don't match hatred with hatred, when we don't fight for power and dominance in the ways that this world does, not so with you, were the words of Jesus. When we realize and, and, and live, like true power is this power of love, agape, this self-sacrificing, enemy-loving, self-giving kind of love. Scripture calls those of us who follow Jesus to be agents of this reconciliation. That we reconcile, as we reconcile our own life with Christ, we help the world reconcile to him. We grab hold of this scandalous grace. So, I know that's a lot, but they're Jesus' words, not mine. And he tells you and I, if you want to live a blessed life, learn to be more merciful today. Practice it right now. Go find some way, someone to love and to forgive and to be merciful. Let people cut you off. Let people cut in line. Let people take advantage. Practice seeing the magnitude of all that you've been forgiven of and how difficult it is. Reminds you of how precious this love and forgiveness is that we've been given. And with that... Have a good rest of your day, night, evening, whatever. Make sure you subscribe over at jesusisdope.substack.com so that you can stay in tune. Uh, we'll do some live podcast stuff, some Q&As, other things. And the only way to stay in the know is subscribe over at Substack. And um, yeah, that's enough for today. I went over 30 minutes. My bad.